Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate that. I trust you will. I'm just going to get my little television working. This is in case I get bored in the sermon. You see, I can just uh, uh, just make sure I've got something entertaining to watch. I'm only kidding, of course. You don't know that, though, do you? <laughs> Think about technology. It's great when it's working. Not so good when it's not. There we go. That's not a TV, really. It just helps me to count. Yeah, I'm terrible at counting. Terrible. Hey. Good morning, and good to see you. Trust you well. If you're visiting here for the first time, uh, or returning visitors, special welcome. And uh, obviously, a welcome to all our regulars, too. Thank you, Jerry, for, for leading us, for hosting, for praying for us. And uh, hey, we do need prayer, don't we? And, and there's no shame in that. You know, we come as ordinary people. You know, we have our challenges we face every day in the week. And there's no shame in admitting that uh, and desiring prayer and, uh, and receiving prayer. So thank you for praying for us, Jerry. And may the Lord hear and touch and answer. <coughs> Let me pray and then I'll begin. Father, we thank you for your church. Thank you for Rivergate, an expression, a local community of people who are a part of that universal worldwide church. Built on the foundation of the, of the apostles, the prophets, on the truth that Jesus Christ is both God and Lord and our personal Saviour. Built on the truth that he died on the cross, that he was buried and that he rose again. And so we come in his name, we come in those truths, and we want to draw near to you, as we have been throughout this morning. You've heard our songs of praise, O oh God. You've heard the expressions of our hearts. You've heard us declare that we believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, died and risen again. And as we draw now near to you through the hearing of your word preached, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, minister to us, and enable us to respond in faith to what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're good to record, Pete, if you haven't done so already. Hey, so look, we're, we're in a different part of the Bible. We're having a break from Daniel. We're in 2 Corinthians. It's a letter uh, that the great apostle Paul wrote to a city, just a small city, uh, and helping them in their Christian journey. And I want to look at that with you. It's the second letter that Paul sends, called Corinthians 2, or 2 Corinthians. And I want to, this week and next week, just look at these few verses of chapter 1 uh, and show us something of Paul's life. Let me give you some headlines. If you were in, living in Corinth, you may receive headlines like this 2,000 years ago. Paul escapes with his life in Asia. A band of evangelists led by Paul are struck down. Paul, beaten and imprisoned. Paul is knocked off his pedestal by super apostles. Shipwrecked, Paul survives a day and a night at sea. Paul, tormented by a thorn in the flesh. Just a sample of some of the headlines you may have read if newspapers were circulating 
back then. What it reveals is that this super-Christian, the great Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian ever to have lived, undergoes the most perplexing and tormenting challenges and suffering. Do you notice that? He undergoes troubles and persecution, trials. And we're left asking, friends, aren't we? How does this work out? I mean, how could it possibly be conceivable that the greatest of all Christians suffers perhaps more so than any other Christian, at least documented suffering? How do we marry this up? What do we do? And I guess the question we're asking is, what do we do? What response do we make to Christian suffering? Did Paul lack faith? Is that what he was about? Or didn't Paul pray hard enough? Was he, is this a lack of prayerfulness? What is going on with this great Christian and his suffering? And I think we're left to ask this, Christian, this question. Could suffering be a part of God's plan for our lives? As Christians, could suffering be a part of our lives as Christians. I want to look at that with you. So let's begin. We're going to take, take half of the chapter today and half next week under two headings. And here's the first heading, the heading for this week. Being comforted, comfort one another. Being comforted, comfort one another. Let me show you the verses 3 and 4. We're going to spend most of our time in these couple of verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul begins. He's in a situation where he's suffering terribly himself. I'll show that shortly. And he begins his second letter. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is, Paul wants us to know, friends, that it's a healthy and right and proper thing to do for Christians to be praising God. I don't know what kind of baggage you've brought to church today. Paul's message is that it's right and proper to be praising God. And he's really, when he's saying this, he's he's echoing. He's echoing the long tradition of Jews who now converted to Christianity. You know, let let me ask, what was the hymn book of the Jewish race? The Psalms. If you ever read the Psalms, here's the thing. This is probably reality. If you've never suffered... You've got no interest in the Psalms. If you've never faced any challenges in life, the Psalms will mean little to you. But if you know anything about suffering, you read the Psalms. You sing the Psalms. The Psalms are full of real life examples of people facing difficulty and suffering. And one thing you've noticed in the Psalms over and over and over and over again is this injunction Psalm 146, for example, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. It's a Bible-wide injunction, command, Christian. And the Psalms sum it up so brilliantly to praise God, regardless of our circumstances. And so Paul, in, in chapter 1 of the second letter to Corinth, begins in that tradition of the Jewish race. Praise be to the God, and then he continues, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I want you to notice, just looking at that verse on the screen, what is so unique about Christian praise as opposed to Judaistic praise of God? What is so unique about the manner in which Paul wants us to praise God as opposed to the manner in which Jews would praise God? It's anchored in Jesus Christ. And that's something, that's something we've been hammering on all the time, isn't it? And it's particularly clear here that for Christians, our praise of God must always be in the context of Jesus. In the context of Jesus, and if this is new to you, let me just try and explain this very briefly. When we think of Jesus, we're not thinking of someone who's less than God. We're thinking of someone who's equal to God. One and the same. And so in a very real sense, now that we know that of God, now that Jesus has come and we understand he's one with God, when we praise God, when we relate to God, when we think of God, we must always be thinking, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And to miss that is to miss something of who he is. So Paul wants us to praise God. It's in the context of Jesus. It's always to be in the matrix of that. And I want you to notice the context of Paul's praising because it'd be easy to imagine, oh yeah, Paul's praising God because he's probably having a good day. When I have a good day, I praise God. But I want you to show you the context. Call up on the screen there. Praise God. I think it's, it's, if I could have the next slide, please. Thank you. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. For if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comforts. Let me ask you, what's the context in which Paul is wanting God to be praised? Suffering, troubles. We'll see next week such dire troubles that Paul despaired of life. So Paul's command is that God is to be praised amidst suffering. When I was converted in a Pentecostal church, Elim, do you have that movement here? I know you have AOG. Do you have Elim? No, so they're connected, uh, interrelated. So it's a big movement in the, in the UK, a big Pentecostal movement. In my early days when I was converted as a, as a young person, just 16, uh, not too many years ago, I hasten to add, okay? Uh, look, yeah, 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 he believes me. Uh, well, if Goliath says, yeah, right, I'll, I better accept that, especially if he's carrying his sword with him. So, so look, here's the thing, here's the saying we used to have, and whatever situation you're facing, we had this saying that we'd praise God anyway. And so whatever we were going through, we'd do this thing where we would we'd say, praise God anyway. And look, I never thought much of it. And look, hey, I get that, and it's great. But I think there's more substance in what Paul is doing here than just that flippant, or just praise God anyway. For Paul, the substance coming that this praising is intelligent. It's thought out. It's Christocentric. It revolves around Jesus. 
And it's, it's a response to God's attributes and character. I don't think this is so much a, just praise God anyway. Look, I'm about to die, but praise God anyway. Hallelujah. You know, which wouldn't quite be, you know, the tone, would it, in that circumstance? No, I think it's far more intelligent. It's anchored in who God is. Listen, we praise God, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Can you see what he's telling the Corinthians? Yet he wants God to be praised. But he wants that praise to be anchored in things that are authentic, genuine, that are sincere. Is it? I don't know, maybe it is, but perhaps not always that sincere when it's just, oh, I'll just praise God anyway. I've just gone bankrupt, but I'll just praise God anyway. No, I think Paul is, is much more thought out. It's, hey, Look, we're despairing of life. We're in a terrible predicament. But we serve the father of compassion. That term, the father of compassion, it means that all compassion is anchored in, rooted in God. That's, that's what the term means. He's the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul's praising of God in his difficulty is in the fact that God and his character is equal to his situation. What is it that you want to know? What is it that I want to know when we're going through trouble as Christians? What do we want to know about God? Someone tell me. Right next to us. That he cares. Because what is it that we feel when we're suffering as Christians? What do we assume about God? Yeah. And Paul wants you to know, no, 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 no. In trial, I want you to know, says Paul, that God is the very epitome, the, the anchorage, uh, the, the, the very, very root of all compassion and comfort. That is, he wants you to know, if we doubt a Christian, that in suffering, God still cares. He's still able to provide all comfort. And it's, it's, it's on that, and I think that's the anchorage here. It's anchored in that that we praise him. This isn't a flippant, um, you, know, you know, disingenuous, oh, praise God anyway. No, this is anchored in the fact that I may be suffering, but I praise him because I know God cares the same feels the same. This, this idea of, of compassion is empathy, isn't it? it? It's been able to relate and feel pain. See, God, says Paul Christian, feels or experiences human pain. How do we know that? Thank you. Because Jesus did. Our faith and our praise of God is anchored in one who has experienced or we experience. I'm going to come back to that. Thank you, Jim. Let me ask you then. So if God is comforting us, listen to verse 4, who comforts us, this God of all compassion, comforts us in all our troubles, what does that look like? 
So he's a God who feels for us, who knows how, what we face. He's a God who's able to comfort us, come alongside us. What does that look like? I mean, okay, let me give you some answers. Does that mean every time I face trial, God zaps me out of it? Is that what's being said here? I don't think it is, is it? Look, here's the reality. Sometimes, and I've seen this, sometimes somebody has a relationship uh, breakup. They have a broken heart. But then they meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright and have the most wonderful marriage and they live happily ever after. I've seen Christians, I know Christians, who have had that experience. But not many. For many, they have a broken heart. And then it's broken again. Did you remember, remember the woman that Jesus ministered to at the well? How many times? How many times did she have her heart broken? Yeah. Five. And the guy she was with, she was so broken, she, she lost all confidence in men, she, she couldn't entrust herself to him for fear that he may do the same too. You know, when we, you know, when we look at that passage, it's really easy to assume that this is a serial you know, man-user. Have you ever thought, when you've read that, that here's a woman who's been serially used over and over and over again? The reality is, friends, the comfort of God doesn't always look or feel the way we want. God doesn't always deliver often, and this has been my experience as a pastor, often God's comfort comes not in zapping us out of our situations, but zapping us in our situation. Look, we've got medical people here, so I better watch how I uh, speak now, but look, palliative care is what? Someone give me the definition of palliative, palliative care. What is, what is the definition of it? I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of something now. So, so is this right? We've got some medics in, in our circle. Is this right? What is it? It's the relieving of pain without dealing with the cause of the condition. Is that cruel? It's complex. It's a kindness. I, I've, I've seen. I've seen that. You've seen that. Christian, very often, God chooses not to deal with our condition or the pain, but to give us comfort in the pain. To come alongside us. To sit next to us. To give us a sense of his presence. <laughs> to feel his love, to, to know his love. You see, Christians die of cancer. Then if you didn't know that, I'll tell you it's true. Christians die of cancer. But Christians die with Jesus beside them. With Jesus, his love flowing into their heart. With Jesus' words ministering to them. You see, the God of compassion shows his greatest compassion to us 
so often in providing care in our darkest moments. Look, I know if you're anything like me, you just want deliverance. We just want to be out of the situation. And God often is saying, friends, I want to come and sit with you. Put my arm around you in your moment of trial. Because it's then that you feel my love the most powerful. Look, remember Paul, when he was facing that situation, it's in his same letter, he's at the end of the book now in 2 Corinthians, and he's telling us about the wonderful visions of heaven that he'd had, such wonderful visions that he's unable to communicate them. And then he says these words, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. We can identify with that, can't we? That when we get a thorn, when we get a difficulty, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, God, get me out of here. And get me out of here now. And listen how God responds to Paul. He said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's okay. Your situation is not going to change, Paul. But however severe your trial, my grace that flows to you is always superior. Whatever we face, Christian, God's grace to us is always superior to the circumstances. Always. And sometimes, just like Paul, who knows? But God is perfecting his power in our weakness and making us equal to the challenge. And so God's response to our suffering Christian has many different and diverse and complex effects. It's not always deliverance. It sometimes is. And as I said to you earlier, as a minister of the gospel, in communicating and talking with ordinary people just like you, is that more often than not, God chooses to give us grace in the trial rather than give us the grace of deliverance from the trial. He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our troubles. Being comforted, comfort one another. The great apostle Paul, somebody tell me, just before this next text comes up, it's in Acts 9, God calls him to do work, Christian work. What does he tell him, or what does he promise him that he can expect in conjunction with faithful service to God? Someone tell me. God calls this man to ministry. He saves him from despair, from his background. He tells him that he's going to use him as an apostle to the Gentile. He's going to be the greatest Christian ever to have lived. And God promises him that accompanying this great usefulness to God would be what? Persecution. Trouble. Look, read the words for yourself. I think it's coming up on a slide or two. If we just go forward, please, Meg. Just run through it. I'll read it to you as Meg finds it. It's in Acts 9.16. I will show him, 
Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Can I suggest, or I think God is suggesting through these words, that the greater God would use a person, the greater the trial he would put them through. Look at our Lord. And I think Jim was referring to this earlier. Hebrews 4, did we catch up? Yeah, thank you. Hebrews 4, the next one. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Well, what did Paul go through, the barrage of difficulties that he encountered in his ministry? Somebody asked me, why? Why was he going through those? Because what type of people was he ministering to? The unsaved people who were facing troubles. What was happening to these Christians? What were, what were the Romans doing to these Christians that Paul was ministering to? Persecuting them, throwing them to lions. How can Paul minister to a family whose son has just been thrown to the lions if he's never faced lions himself? It's why he faced lions. It's why he was whipped. It's why he was shipwrecked. It's why he was stoned. It's why he was hungry. So they can minister. And our Lord stepped into our world, into our poverty, into our shame, into our reality, into our grief. Hey, have you thought about this? Somebody, somebody tell me. What would have been the hardest personal grief that Jesus faced? Someone tell me. What was the hardest personal grief that Jesus faced? Oh, sorry. Okay, let, let me recall it for that. Ever before his ministry began, the loss of his father. Never think about it. Do you notice Joseph is never on the scene in Jesus' ministry? He's gone. What trade was Jesus doing? What trade was his father's trade? Where did Jesus learn his trade from? How much time did Jesus spend with his dad? A lot. He faced human grief. Who knows? Watched his dad, father suffer, perhaps? Watched illness eat away at him? Perhaps. Certainly watched him breathe his last. Watched him being buried. And then watched his mum, his mother, face that grief of living without her husband. Potentially face, and we don't know quite when this happened, potentially face the hardship of, of, of a husband who could no longer provide for the family. Oh, Jesus knew. Oh, he knows what it's like to be human, what it's like to grieve, what it's like to suffer, what it's like to lose a dear friend. Those tears outside of Lazarus's tomb were real. Real. He can comfort us, friend, because he has been and stepped into our shoes. I was once speaking. I was once speaking with um, 
a lady from a different background, a different religious background to us. Trying to, just a young Christian trying to witness to her. Tell her about Christ. And I said to her, look, we believe that our God stepped into our world so they could empathize with us in our suffering. You know her response was? My God would never humiliate himself like that. But that's precisely the point. That's precisely the point. Our God did. He did humiliate himself. And he did come into our world. And he did feel our pain. And he did experience what we experience. And so he's in the greatest position of any deity to minister to us. To whisper, I know. I know. I understand. I felt your pain. And feeling it can minister to it in a way that no other can. In John 3, 16, we really, we know it so well and it rolls off our tongue. We can almost miss something of the power of it. For God so loved the world that he stepped into our world. It's why Jesus is so endearing, isn't it? It's why he stands apart to every other religious figure in history. He's been there, he's felt the pain, he knows, he understands. Being comforted. Let me just finish with this final thought here, friends. Being comforted. Comfort one another. Because look, look, here's the ramification of it. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. If God is a great comforter, then the way that we become more like him, the way that God's image in us is rediscovered, for here's a reality, if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you now, just look at Brenton, it's obvious, he no longer resembles the, the image of Christ. I don't. Whatever you think of me, if you really knew me, you'd know I'm ugly. Terribly, terribly ugly with sin. I don't stand here as one who has made the grade. All of us, none of us, no longer resemble the image of God. But in Christ it's been rediscovered, it's been unearthed and rediscovered and polished. And, and, And one way God does that is that he puts us through suffering so that we can become more like him and enter into the role that he's playing. If God enters into our world and ministers to us in our suffering, then God must have us go through suffering in order that we may enter into his world and minister to others. We suffer, Christians, not just for our own sanctification, but for the blessing and the comfort of others. The person you want to sit next to your bedside on your deathbed, is him or her who has done that already in another context. Someone who can sit down and say, hey, I was with you, I'm with you. I know what you're feeling. I've lost someone dear. I've faced those financial difficulties. I've struggled in those areas 
of life. I've walked that walk. It's why I think in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says to the church there, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. Listen to this, this is Christian teaching. This is Bible teaching. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to... Can I close them with this and say, Christian, that God calls us to suffer with him. Calls us to face trials. Have you ever wondered, why am I in this situation? What have I done? You may not have done anything. But your suffering may just be an answer to God's call to you to come and suffer with him. So that in suffering and in finding his grace and in receiving his comfort, being comforted, we can comfort one another. It's a goal. Hey, if you've suffered in any way, make it your task this afternoon to phone somebody, to message somebody, to knock on somebody's door who you know is suffering. And you know, the best tonic for personal suffering is to go and watch somebody else suffer, help them in their suffering. You soon realise, you soon realise that our sufferings aren't quite as big as we imagine. Being comforted Comfort one another. Amen. Amen. We'll pick up the chapter next week and I want to show you something further going on in these verses as we look at Paul's incredible, incredible personal suffering. I wonder if the musicians would just want to join us, please. And could I just ask you again, just, just to give us a few notes and why don't we take some moment. Jerry has already prayed for us. Thank you, Jerry. You know, whatever you're feeling, whatever comfort you need, reflect on what we just heard. Hear God. Think what he's just said to you. Receive it. Hey, one of the hardest things, saddest things I see as a minister is that we, we don't receive the help. Let's take a moment and receive Jesus' comfort.